This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. You always say it like it's a question. (laughs) All right, welcome back to Almost Heretical. (laughs) Every time. That's how I talk, mate. No, it's not how you talk. I wouldn't be laughing if it's how you talk. Okay, let's intro the show by you being me and I be you. All right, welcome back to Almost Heretical. Um, I'm a... Uh. <laughs> he jerk. <laughs> you just said um, uh, uh, um for like 10 seconds. <laughs> At least I said words for you. Uh, let's do this again. All right, welcome back to Almost Heretical. Where I intro shows like a question. <laughs> you didn't that time though, so that was good. Yeah, what are we uh, what are we talking about today? Well, okay, so we just did two really fun interviews. Uh, Rachel Held Evans and Brian Zahn. Go listen to them. And uh, yeah, if you missed them, go back and listen to them. But Nate and I were just kind of doing some reflection on something that we had talked about actually in a, one of the first episodes we did that kind of got re-sparked by some of these more recent conversations. Uh, and even just sort of this trend that we're noticing in a lot of the conversations in the church right now around uh, the area of doubt and certainty. And there basically seems to be this really strong resonance with the idea that many of us have been groomed to feel the need to have a, a kind of certainty that actually ends up becoming a kind of a stumbling block and obstacle for us. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us now have recognized that we're on this journey away from a certain kind of certainty into a kind of faith that is that is less certain um, and there's some elements of that that we want to touch on, some of uh, what we've just experienced ourselves in, in our theological journeys. Yeah, I remember when uh, a lot of the questions kind of started coming up for me, and we've talked about those on the show before, uh, issues with what happens after we die and is it like the nature of hell and what is the Bible and why, isn't, why doesn't it work like we want it to work or the atonement or just different stuff like that. I almost picture it like this kind of sliding scale, like I was certain about this thing on this side and I'll move it back now to zero now because I'm trying to figure out what I think. But I just assumed at some point I'd slide it to the right and I would become certain just in a different direction on <laughs> that same topic. And then I would do that for each of these topics that I used to hold. Um, and uh, like not everything changed, but it, for the things that did change, I thought, okay, I was certain here. Let me just go through a couple of years of not knowing for sure. And then I'll be certain again, but on in a different way. And I think what I've noticed personally is... I haven't gotten that certainty back. And so I'm starting to think that's not coming back and that's probably a good thing. Yeah, and that's that's the reflection I've been having for a while. You know, so we we launched the podcast back in January with some kind of nerdy shows wrestling with some stuff in Genesis largely. And everyone was like, Um, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of it was really exploring ideas that, aren't really talked about in the church, but you can see evidence of in the scriptures, uh, especially in the Old Testament, of worldviews relating to how they're actually these other gods that are these like rebel divine beings. And we basically wanted to toy with how those elements in the story that the biblical writers had in their heads would change the way we interpret Christian theology. But part of what it brought up is that in large parts, the more in-depth research we do, the better biblical theology uh, the more nuance we can find. It allows us to do 
better theology, and at least what you and I mean, Nate, by better theology is more true, more beautiful, and more life-giving, meaning it's more the fruit of that theology is better for people, creates more love and goodness in the world, and, uh, and doesn't harm people. And so part of our journey has been finding ways, finding the hermeneutic tools, finding the, the strategies of approaching the Bible, uh, that allow us to do better theology, which is a lot of what we were talking with Rachel Held Evans about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it's a lot of what her book Inspired is about, is how to do that work. But part of what I recognized when I was exploring all of this, you know, weird stuff in Genesis with the Nephilim and all that is um, it did allow me to envision God in a bigger and better way than I had had previously been trained to envision God. But that made it so that that foundation was built atop of some really strange and hard to believe ideas Mm. like the premise that there are these other national gods that are at war with Yahweh and that have enacted this rebellion throughout history by governing the nations. It's all this stuff that I realized was kind of underlying some of the foundational ideas of New Testament theology. So what it what it brought out in me, and I've just realized I keep experiencing this over and over again, is there is this sort of trade-off in deconstruction and reconstruction and reworking our theology, which is that I have the option of pursuing a, a better theology that, that makes me more strongly desire to want this God to be real and true and want to worship him. And it simultaneously makes it harder for me to believe that this all is true. Mm. For me, it's even just been like learning more about science. And just the more I read and listen to and watch, I get really, really excited the way the whole, sometimes there's like these moments where my brain just feels like it's going to explode because the whole thing is just so big and beautiful and amazing and intricate and, and yeah, just huge and vast and, seems like there's huge theological implications but i think for a long time i didn't let myself go there and now that i do it's like wow this this whole thing <laughs> could be uh just incredibly so much bigger than i ever thought and god could be so much bigger more beautiful harder to fully understand than i ever thought but yeah, almost like you've got a a bigger, broadened imagination of what could be possible and true, but because of how big it is, <laughs> it almost becomes harder to believe that this one story, this single single story about what is true, is the only possible way of of understanding that. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, even uh, just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a friend who's an Old Testament scholar, and uh, for him, he's talking about basically exploring just the great depth and nuance of the literary ingenious uh, of the way that the Old Testament was was written and assembled, and just seeing so many patterns uh, there that that he didn't know were there before. And part of what that does is it it's brought all this excitement and joy and curiosity to him to continue to discover and explore these kind of threads of literary creativity. But arriving at a much more complicated and big view of what the Old Testament even is as a as a literary masterpiece, not just this thing that fell from heaven, uh, penned by, by God himself, does sometimes make it harder to believe that all of it is somehow divinely, certainly true. Um, so there's this mixed feeling of, I can appreciate this thing more and more, and at the end of the day, 
the kind of certainty I used to have growing up of the Bible says it, therefore God spoke it, and therefore I'll believe it. That formula doesn't work so simply anymore, and it really does muddy the water of what maintaining faith means. Or even just the thought that there's kind of a singular way to interpret the Bible, and we're going to get this this truth out of it, this, this singular truth on this topic out of it. Um, yeah, it just lets you down. It keeps disappointing you when it's not that. And it can make this thing more beautiful and more so something that you want to be true and a God that you want to be real and believe in, but harder to actually believe in that thing. Yeah, totally. And so that's what I want to talk about because I think my reflection has been that I think this is something most of us face. It's new to me to articulate it and think about it this way, but it it really does seem like we face this trade-off in many ways that to pursue what I would call better theology of doing broader, more reflective, more nuanced theology entails a trade-off. And that oftentimes feels like on one hand, you can gain a better, more beautiful picture of God and the Christian life, but the cost of that will be losing a feeling of absolute certainty about just how true this all is. Um, And and what that means on the the flip side, I think there's a way of explaining a lot of the, the tension going on in in the church is that some people, and I think I can identify with this myself, actually would prefer to hold on to the certainty, even if it comes at the cost of having a vision that is not as good or beautiful as might be possible, because the feeling of, of losing that certainty is just so dang scary. So I think that it's one way of articulating what we've seen is, is there's so many people who are resonating with this stage of their faith journey that it, that is a transition from a kind of rigid certainty to a place of more uncertainty. So people like Pete Enns with his book, The Sin of Certainty, and others have tried to essentially validate this journey, right, and say that it's something good and necessary we can go on. And then there's this whole other side that I think is really threatened by this on an emotional level, because when you've been accustomed to being able to go to sleep at night, feeling absolutely, utterly certain about your beliefs. It's a really scary concept to give up that feeling, uh, to give up that comfort of feeling really certain. So basically, we want to talk about this trade-off and how that plays into how we do theology. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I wonder why it's hard for us to 
challenge these ideas? What, why does it like stir so much up? You know, like we talked on the slippery slope episode just about how much fear there is around thinking through things again or holding a different interpretation or, or starting to read or think about things outside of the circle that you're in. And we just lift up certainty so much and really what you have. And I think this comes with like the best of hearts, the best of intentions. I mean, you and I both did this. So we're not talking about someone else here. We're talking about ourselves. And what we did was reinforcing every week, reinforcing the interpretation of the Bible that we believed was right. We reinforced that each week, you know, as much as we could with our people because we wanted to have them continue to believe that thing, you know? And so like, but yeah, like, why do we do that? And why are we afraid to venture outside that? Yeah. I mean, that's what I think some of this is just natural human feeling of we, we cling certainty. We want to know, we want to know how to belong and how to think and uh, what's right, what's wrong, who's in, who's out. I think that's part of the natural human psyche, but we touched on this on an earlier episode too. It's, it's been elevated and exaggerated within Protestant denominationalism where every church community on its own is deciding for itself how to make all the interpretive decisions on the thousands of different points of Christian thought and theology. I mean, what are there, like 33,000 denominations within yeah, Protestantism? Yeah, of them, right? Which are founded on sola scriptura. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, think about that. There's tens of thousands of denominations within Protestantism, which Protestantism is all about sola scriptura, the scripture alone. We don't need anything else. And so this whole idea of like, let's just do the plain reading of scripture. What that's led to is tens of thousands of different interpretations of this thing, which is fine in a sense. But when it's, when there's so much certainty around our interpretation and not your interpretation, it leads to this closed off, closed minded view of the Bible and the world. And we're just, we're not open to other ways of thinking about it. Yeah. And I mean, here, I don't, I don't even mean to be critical of Protestantism or what's happened in Protestant church over the last few hundred years. It's more just like we need to understand this to know where we come from. Part of the irony is that the, the hierarchy of the, the one Roman Catholic church actually has allowed for a much more diverse array of Christian experience and thinking within that one singular church than what most any of us are used to in denominational Christianity. And so across the board, say you take all those thousands of Protestant denominations, within all of Protestantism, there's probably more diversity of, a, of opinion and theological interpretation than there is within Catholicism. But in each specific church, what each of us as individuals have experienced is a much more limited, smaller, uh, more rigid focus, because that's how we define who we are as churches, is essentially what we believe on every one of the theological debates. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is we've continued to add more and more of those debates to the list of what defines us against you. And so I think just part of the experience of of being a Christian in, in Western Protestantism is we largely live out our faith within 
communities that are constricted way more tightly than what most Christian communities have been throughout history, honestly. And so I think what that's done is it's it's elevated this sense in us that to be a part of this community, to be a part of the faith itself, we have to fit within that really small scope of, of, of true biblical belief. There's air quotes around those. <laughs> yeah. Like to change your view on, honestly, like a whole litany of ideas, say like how you think the Holy Spirit works today can literally mean you're, you're no longer a part of one group and you have to move to another group. And we've talked about before how like lonely and isolating and, and scary that, uh, that feeling can be of being outcast by your, your faith community. So what it, what it's done is I think it's trained all of us to, to really limit the ways we feel free to interpret and think theologically. And we're, we're more accustomed to thinking that what it means to be a Christian is to feel very strongly or certainly about a list of theological ideas. That is part of, I think, our heritage uh, as Protestants. And so I think that makes it so that we are honestly more vulnerable to feeling totally emotionally overwhelmed when we face new ideas, new interpretations, the church around the block that thinks really differently about certain ideas. It's almost like we're less emotionally capable of handling that. And, and that's why I think some of us are just responding to this trade-off in very different ways. I think, I think people in our faith communities are okay with us going on these journeys to an extent through a little bit of uncertainty or trying to figure out what you think about these different areas as long as you arrive back at certainty again or more certain of the things that we already think, right? So you can read those books that are outside our box or outside our circle, um, but use those to become more certain in what we already think. N.T. Wright has done a, a huge work with kind of like tearing down these views of heaven that we have and, and leaving this earth to go somewhere after we die and actually talking more about the new creation. And these are actually like really kind of popular um, views now of what the goal is for this world. But then there's other ones that aren't that popular right now and are still really hot topics like rethinking hell. And um, I think like a lot of you out there have, have probably felt this where like the idea isn't actually scary. Like the idea, <laughs> thinking about like what is hell, what was Jesus talking about when he was talking about hell or Gehenna or like rethinking these ideas and arriving at more beautiful ways to think about these things. It's not scary. It's actually a great journey to go on. But the fear actually comes in because we're becoming less certain and more open to possibilities. And so there's there's this like fear there because we feel like we need to hold on to that certainty. Yeah. And so, you know, you take those examples like uh, heaven and new creation. It's basically now within any relatively scholarly circles, uh, completely understood that the main hope and goal of Christianity is not getting to heaven, uh, but it's the new creation and new heavens and new earth coming to restore this world. And that's been a, a really monumental theological shift in American Christianity. And what it leads you with is a much bigger and more beautiful view of, of Christian hope. You know, like a lot of us went through this experience where we're like, heaven is sitting around in a choir forever and ever and ever singing boring like church hymns. Like, 
I can't get really excited about that. But now you're telling me that the real story is that God wants to heal everything and mend the world and bring peace where there's been war. Like, oh, I can get behind that. Like, and we're going to work and do things we're passionate about. Like, I can give my life to that idea. So you're right. It's it's not the idea that's scary, you know, or, or your hell example. Like, the idea, the theological shift that the gospel isn't predicated on the idea that God wants to torture people in prison for eternity but on something altogether different than that, that's a really liberating theological shift to go through. But I think what more of what we're talking about is you go through enough of those theological shifts, or you're faced with them anyway, and you just begin to feel like, where's the foundation under me? You know, what do I still, what can I still be certain about? What at the end of the day can I like really know definitively? And, and again, I think that just is revealing that we've become accustomed to a kind of experience, a kind of honestly intellectualized faith experience that uh, is really scary to, to move away from. So my example was, again, this weird stuff in the Old Testament, which leads to this view that God isn't in charge of all of the awful things that happen to me in life. He's not the author of evil. Instead, he's waging this war to defeat evil. Mm-hmm. That has freed me up from some of my deepest concerns and fears about who God is and whether I really wanted to worship him. I, that's been an incredibly liberating experience. But at the end of the day, I'm like, it's harder for me to know. I am a hundred percent absolutely certain that that God exists and that God loves me. And this whole story is the only true story than it was before. And so I got to face the question of, is it worth it to me to take that risk to have a, a better picture of Christianity and less of an ability to rigidly hold on to it. And at least at this point in my life, I'm going, it's got to be worth it. I've got to take that risk because the the flip side of it is a kind of self-delusion that I basically did for a long time. And I think it leads to some, some toxic stuff. Yeah. We've both obviously taken that risk. There's another risk when you, when you start talking about these things, which we've obviously taken that risk. But the reason we want to do it here is because we know what it's like to to be in communities, to be with your friends, and to feel like you can't talk about the stuff you're actually thinking about because it puts you outside this community. It puts you outside this circle. You know, this is where you're at, and I think a lot of a lot of you are at this place where you're realizing there's this trade-off of letting go of this certainty. Maybe you already have started to do that. We're doing this show to give you a glimpse into our journey of doing that. Like we'll jump in the pool first. We want to do that because we want you to know that it's going to be okay. And this just might be the best journey that you go on to this place where God is so much bigger and better and more amazing than you ever thought was possible. And it might be rough getting there, you may lose things along the way. You might lose those things you just knew for sure that you were certain of. And it may even be harder to believe in this version of reality, this worldview, this picture of who God is. But trust us, watch us, it's worth it. And we can do this together. Well, what we're trying to say here is is to we want to be empathetic to people who are feeling this and haven't been wanting to take that risk, make that trade-off. And what we're saying is essentially from our experience and from others around us, it's worth it 
it's scary and it's worth it. And so if watching us do it first can make you brave to be willing to do it yourself, then that's worth it. Yeah, and I think that's why so many Christians, uh, especially in American evangelical world, have gone through such lonely transition journeys because we don't really talk about this. We don't really talk about the real pain and honestly, maybe even emotional trauma that comes with either being forced to move beyond the religious framework you you were in for a long time or, or trying to make the choice to do that uh, willfully. Like Rachel Held Evans said a couple weeks ago, it's, it's a terrifying experience. And what so many people feel is like what she felt sitting in a church on Sunday going, am I the only one who might not be believing this? Well, no, you're not. Actually, maybe most people there are thinking that exact same thing. But we, I think because we don't ever really talk honestly about what this real emotional experience is and that the cost of moving forward, especially for those of us who spent time in, in pretty rigid faith communities, the cost is a really painful one. And it really does feel like at some point, uh, most of us will have to choose whether or not we're willing to, f to face that cost, uh, to face that risk. And so, you know, like I said, I, re I really do believe that the way most of American Christianity has been structured, it, it makes it so that if we remain Christians, we're, we're more likely to remain the same kind of Christian we've always been. But that feeling that we need to remain that same exact kind of Christian is what makes it so that many of us are really likely to feel like we can't be Christians at all anymore. And so part of this bigger project of, of making Christianity even possible for some of us or lots of us is basically becoming brave, brave enough to face that risk of becoming a different kind of Christian and broadening the imagination and horizon doesn't mean you throw out all boundaries or guardrails to what you think or believe or any of that. Um, but it's more of like recognizing that some of what we've held on to, really some of the emotional, psychological security that we've held on to for a long time, we'll have to let go of that in order to grow up. Yeah. Because I think that is a scary phrase, making Christianity possible again, which Brian Brian touched on that. And like, we just really want to run with that. That, that is what we're trying to do, but that can feel like to a lot of people. And I, I think that's, this is where the line is between these two kind of large camps. There's these two large camps and one feels like that is saying, you're just making Christianity, whatever you want it to be. And the other feels like that is what we need to do is use that as a hermeneutic for interpreting and reading the Bible. Um, is this actually making good in the world and bringing good into the world, our understanding and our interpretation of the Bible. So that's what we do on this show. Yeah. So we've asked you over the course of these episodes to support us in different ways if you want to. And if this is a helpful show for you, um, like giving on Patreon, which if you want to do that, you can go to give.almostheretical.com or leaving a review on iTunes. But there's one other way we could really use your help. And we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, we've had this idea that 
uh, we're excited to get into probably this summer, maybe in the fall. We want to do a series called Almost Heretical Conversations, where we essentially get several different guests on the show for a series of different conversations, not really interviews, but where we basically get different thinkers, scholars, leaders, inspiring people from different perspectives and and fields of expertise, sit them at a table and have some really cool dialogue. So what we want to ask is, who do you want to hear talk? I mean, this could be N.T. Wright and Lisa Sharon Harper talking about the Old Testament. Who knows? Basically, Anything related to faith, Christianity, Bible, theology, culture, racism, ethics, any of that stuff that is important to you and us, let us know your thoughts. So who do you want to hear and what do you want to hear them talk about? Not a debate per se, but hopefully a really, really good and fascinating conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So email us or tweet at us at Almost Heretical and contact at almostheretical.com. Peace. See ya.